This morning's Bible reading is from John, chapter 6, verses 26 to 35. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What, was, what must we do to do the works of God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never, go, will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. When was the last time anyone in this room ever went to a restaurant and ordered a loaf of bread to eat? Anyone? Have you ever seen anybody go into a restaurant and ask for a nice bloomer or a nice split tin or a, a, a malted loaf? We don't really, do we? Is anyone going to have a loaf of bread for their Sunday lunch today? Roast lamb, roast beef, chicken, pork, no bread. As foodstuffs go, bread's not overly glamorous, is it? It's quite ordinary in appearance. And for pretty much all of us, we don't give it too much thought. For us, in our society, in the Western world, bread is something we eat in addition to something else. And yet, if you were starving, you'd do anything for it. When I think of bread as being ordinary and not over, overly glamorous in appearance... It just really reminds me of that passage in Isaiah 53. When it says of Jesus, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Just a very ordinary looking person bread just a very ordinary food stuff but we pick up this passage in John and it's uh, just after Jesus has performed a miraculous sign by feeding 5,000 men the passage tells us so I'm kind of assuming that in actual fact there was more than 5,000 people there in total could have been double that amount for all we know but it's a miraculous sign <coughs> And uh, he does it just out of a couple of scraps. And understandably, 
the people that he fed were pretty pleased. So here, as we pick it up, they're looking for him to see if he can repeat the, uh, the process. When they find him, they say, when did you get here? Just as a, a little aside, have you ever noticed that Jesus always gets to a place before we do? He's always there first, isn't he? And quite often when you meet Jesus, you sort of think, when did you get here? You know, it's, it's incredible, but he's always there before we are. I remember when I became a Christian, the first time I, that I, I came under the gospel message and I gave my life to Jesus, I just could not believe that he was there. But somehow he got there before me. He always gets to a place before we do. And they ask him for a miraculous sign. Now, why do they ask him for a miraculous sign? I mean, he's already performed a fair few uh, miraculous signs up until this point. For example, uh, he's healed a paralytic. He's raised a dead little girl. He's healed those that are blind so that they could see. He's healed the mute and he's healed the leper. And just as an interesting aside... uh, Healing a mute and a leper was something that was quite incredible, actually, even more so than raising the dead, because in this period of time, the Jews were looking for the Messiah, and one of the ways that they, that, that they felt that they could identify the Messiah was what they was looking for was what we now know as, we, we call them the messianic miracles. Have you heard of the messianic miracles? They were looking for someone who would perform three specific what they would term messianic miracles. And believe it or not, healing someone that was mute and healing a leper was regarded as a messianic miracle. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and you see how they were always following Jesus about, you sometimes think to yourself, those pesky Pharisees, those pesky Sadducees, those pesky... Why can't they just leave Jesus alone? Why do they always have to be interfering in everything that he's doing? But the incredible thing is, is that when someone performed a messianic miracle, and only the Messiah could do this, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law were duty-bound to follow Jesus. And he knew that full well because they had to have a period of investigation to make sure that the person who worked the miracle actually was the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. So rather than them being an absolute pain in the backside to Jesus, he was just stringing them along all the time. He had them exactly where he wanted them to be. You notice when Jesus healed the paralytic, the teachers of the law were there, sitting there, because he'd already done one of these miracles. They were observing him, which they had to do. And so Jesus was very, very much in control. There's nothing that Jesus does where he's not in control. So that's just an interesting little aside. But he's already performed these miraculous signs, but they're looking for more miraculous signs. And all these signs that he's already performed all point to who he is. But all they're interested in is bread. For bread, we could read the things of this world. The things of this world are temporal, but the word of God endures forever. But their focus is on the here and the now, their felt needs, as it were. And their felt needs were very real. But I want to put it to you that the real need of a poor person is the same as the need of a rich person. And that's salvation. Eternal life through faith in Jesus. 
If you look in Mark's gospel, uh, Matthew's gospel, sorry, Jesus has already said to the people uh, in verse 31 of chapter 6, do not worry, saying, what should we eat, what should we drink, what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, in essence, that he didn't come primarily to give bread, but to be bread. You know, bread will sustain your life when your bell is empty. It will become your best friend. You'd fight for it. You'd walk miles to get it. You'd give off the shirt off your back just for a few crumbs. So why is it that so many can't see, just like the crowd here, that the very man stood in front of them is the real bread that really satisfies into eternal life? But like so many... Jesus is just a disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed by Jesus? You see, I think the reason why people are disappointed with Jesus is because so often he doesn't meet our expectations. You know, they'd already been fed once, and so they're thinking, this is pretty good. Maybe he'd do it again. But you know, Jesus isn't a machine. Jesus doesn't just do things on demand. Because Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, he's the Alpha and the Omega, as Sarah was saying last week. We so often, I think, in our Western mindset, approach Jesus as if he's a cuddly toy. As if somehow he's there to placate us, to make us feel good about ourselves, to make us happy, to raise our self-esteem... You know that word self-esteem, I have to say, that phrase bugs me so much. We live in a world where everybody talks about self-esteem, but let's just for a moment unpack what self-esteem really means. Self. Self. Self is the essence of sin. Self is the essence of sin because it's putting self before everything else. Self. Me, me, me. I, I, I. It's pride. It's the pride of life. It's self-esteem. It means that I esteem myself. Now, I kind of get it in a way when people talk about self-esteem. Yeah, we should have a certain amount of self-respect. You know, we shouldn't be down on ourselves, etc., etc. But when you look at it, it's the complete antithesis of what the Bible teaches. Because take John the Baptist, for instance. He said, I must become less so that he must become more. The one that we should esteem is Jesus. And I would put it to you as, as, as you know, talking amongst believers, so that if we were to esteem Jesus higher than ourselves, then our self-esteem would just rise anyway. Because he would just bless us anyway. You know, sometimes we put the, the cart before the horse. And I think we really need to sometimes get back to basics so that we put the first things first. And I think this is what Jesus is addressing here. They don't really want him. They want what he can give. They want a miraculous sign. They like a show to go with their handout, but they don't want him. 
So many people get disappointed by Jesus because they have a preconceived idea of who he is. So many people get disappointed with Jesus because they come to him, and I see this all the time with people that I talk to in doing street evangelism. They come to him, they want him, but they want him as a kind of add-on, as a kind of bolt-on to their life. They kind of want him, but they kind of want to compartmentalise him. They kind of want him sort of when they need him, but not every minute of every waking hour of the day. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. You know, we often say that we come to Jesus to live, but I want to turn it around and say to you that actually we come to Jesus to die. Because Jesus died so that we could live. We've got to die so that we can live. And I think sometimes we overlook that fact because we just go along with our lives just from day to day without really dying to ourselves, without really picking up our cross and following Jesus. And I would say that the people that came to Jesus for the second handout, they're really not getting sort of like who he is and where he's coming from because all they can think about is the here and now. All they can think about is their hunger. And, and I get that. But Jesus is actually stood there in front of them, the one who gives life. The Bible says that no man goes to the Father except through Jesus. And there he is, stood in front of them, the true bread that came down from heaven. Not the manna that spoils. Not the manna that has maggots crawling around in it when you leave it for too long. But the one who is and the one who is to come. The true bread of life that came down from heaven. It stood there in front of them. And it's a tragic set of circumstances that somehow they can't see this, that they're so blinded. They're so blinded by their felt needs, by the world. They're so blinded that they can't see this. This is happening all around us. This is happening all around us. It's not something that's just unique to this particular situation. But Jesus says, eventually, because there's this kind of parallel conversation going on, which you quite often see. But Jesus, in the end, he says it quite explicitly. I am the bread of life. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because life is not just the here and now. Life is not just the 70 or so years that most of us will live. Life is not about the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat, the house that we live in, the car that we drive, the money that we earn, the shopping strees. That's not life. Life is so much more than that. Life is meant to be eternal, spent in the presence of God. As I say, when everything is stripped back, the money, the house, the car, the clothes, the foreign holidays, the shopping sprees, the fancy restaurants, they all count for nothing. And we see this in Luke's Gospel. When Luke writes about the, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, about the rich man and Lazarus, you see, the rich man had everything. He had the clothes, he had the wealth, he had the house... You know, and he would have been highly esteemed by the people because the people would have seen that his, his wealth would have been seen as a blessing from God. Meanwhile, Lazarus, he's sat outside the rich man's house. He's covered in sores. The dogs lick his sores. 
people just walk past. They have no time of day for him. And yet when they die, the Bible tells us that the rich man goes to Hades, looks up and sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham far away in paradise. And that's where life really takes us. Because the things that we see around us are temporal. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. You come into the world naked, you go out of the world naked. You have a short, short period of time. I was talking to a a young girl the other day who who works in a decorating shop uh, where I go. And she's only about 19 or something like that. And... uh, we was chatting and everything and I asked her how her Christmas was and all the rest of it and she said oh yeah it's fantastic you know went out on such an absolutely got smashed it was oh it's brilliant and, I, and I've heard her speak like this before and I said do you drink a lot and uh, she said not much but when I do go out I go out and I, I get really hammered and I said do you enjoy that oh it's fantastic she said I mean you've got to live you've got to live she said it's fantastic oh And I thought, what? Is that what you call life? That's what I used to call life. I used to think that was what life was all about. Going out, getting drunk, you know, chasing the girls, fighting, being the jack, the lad and everything. There's nothing that this world can give any of us that will ever really truly satisfy, is there? We know that. If you know Jesus, you know that 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 kind of life was futile. That kind of life never did anything for any one of us. But the bread that comes down from heaven, the one who is God in the flesh, Jesus, Yeshua, is the real bread who gives real life, eternal life. The body counts for nothing. This bread is the word made flesh. So eat of him and you'll never be in want. Feast on him. And when your back's on the wall, you'll stand when other people fall. You see, the, the... the, the children, the, the Israelites, when they were in the desert, God gave them manna to eat. He provided for their needs. He gave them what they needed. And for a while, they were quite happy with that. And in the end, it tells us in Numbers 11 that they got so sick and tired of the sight of manna. They just, they could not bear to see it. All they could do was complain about, oh, there's no cucumbers there's no onions, there's no melons, there's all this wonderful food. When we were in Egypt, oh, it was so lovely. Are you kidding me? When you were in Egypt, it was so lovely. You were slaves in Egypt. But isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how when the going gets tough, suddenly all that's forgotten. The grass is always greener on the other side. Oh, the nostalgia kicks in. Oh, wasn't it lovely? We didn't have to pay for any of this stuff. But you were enslaved. You were in chains. Now, you know, we're something like that sometimes. Because Egypt actually, spiritually, is the world that God called us out of. You know, God called us out of the world. And when we were in the world, for a time, we thought it was fantastic. Oh, we had this, we had that. Oh, but but being a follower of Jesus, oh, so tough. He makes so many demands. He asks me to give this up. He asks me to give that up. He's not going to condone me in my sin. He's not going to placate me. He's not going to play ball. He's not going to overlook the fact that I want to sleep with my boyfriend before I get married. 
He's not going to overlook the fact that I want to go out drinking with my mates and get drunk. He's not going to wear any of that. Because he places a demand on our lives. Because we're meant to be a witness to the world. If you're a Christian, you've got a testimony. We can't allow that testimony to be ruined by having one foot in Egypt and one foot in the promised land. We've been called out of Egypt. We've been called into the promised land. When you look back on your life in Egypt, as it were, in the world, you weren't happy. I wasn't happy. But, you know, sometimes we can easily succumb to that that whole thing of being self-deluded. Oh, but, you know, I was a bit freer back then. No, you weren't free. Your life was never your own. Your life is never your own. I've said that to people. People have said to me, it's my life, I do what I want. No, it's not your life. Your life is either under the sway of the evil one or your life is either under the control and lordship of Jesus. And if you think otherwise, you are sadly mistaken. If you are not a believer, you are under the sway of the kingdom of the power of the air who rules all over the, 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 the demonic world. That, that's... That's your master. You might not be aware of that, but that is your master. Your life is not your own. But Jesus came that we might have life, eternal life. He's the true bread. He's the bread that will keep you going. He's the bread that will sustain you. He's the bread that will never go stale. He's the bread that will never go rotten. He's the bread that will never leave you. He's the bread that you can always eat. And you know something? Like the manna, the bread is fresh every day. Because it's not just the logos of God. It's not just the word of God. It's the rhema of God. It's a fresh word every day. Every day you can come to God and there's a fresh, there's a fresh handout. There's a fresh word from God every day that's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So I'm going to close by saying this. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know him, your life is not your own. Wake up. Wake up. Open your eyes and see that life is found in him who is the bread, the true bread that came down from heaven. He's available to you. You can feast on him any time you want and he will always be there.